Welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. I'm your host, Alice Stoltz. Today, we're looking at how Australians are renovating their homes in 2020 and how to find the right agent for your property if you're looking to sell. But before we dive in, a quick look at this week's auction results. This past weekend in Sydney, 523 properties went up for auction and the clearance rate was 66%. The highest auction sale was a five-bedroom house in Manly, which sold for $7.05 million by Clark and Hummel. The home was so hotly contested by two parties, it actually sold the day before its planned Saturday auction. Of course, Melbourne was limited to online auctions only under Stage 4 lockdown restrictions, but even still, 124 properties went up for auction and the clearance rate was 60%. The highest auction sale was a four-bedroom house in Borwin North, which sold for $2.605 million by Fletcher's Canterbury. Home renovation activity has seen an increase in recent years, and with everyone spending more time indoors at the moment, it follows that people might be looking around their homes for areas that could use a little or a lot of improvement. House, a company that provides tools and resources for home renovation and design, has done a huge survey of their users and come up with some interesting insights into the renovation activities of everyday Australians. Later on in the episode, we'll talk with buyer and seller's advocate, Wendy Chamberlain, about what to look for in an agent when it comes time to sell. But right now, we're joined by Tony Bean, Managing Director of House Australia and New Zealand, to talk about the latest trends in home improvement. Tony, it's such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for having us on. I'm really excited to have a bit of a gear change. There's been a lot of doom and gloom of late, and I'm looking forward to actually talking about why and how people are improving their homes. Have you seen an uptick and increased interest in people's appetite when it comes to renovation and property transformation since COVID hit in March? Yeah, absolutely. Look, as you know, House is the world's biggest community, home design and renovation. And so we have this huge community of homeowners who come to us because they are actively working on projects and looking for inspiration and professionals. So we've done this massive survey, which was really our chance to ask them, what are you doing and what do you have planned coming up? And what we have seen is definite stabilisation and continuation of positive activity, positive spend over the last year. And, and it's a really strong message for the state of the industry overall. Even despite consumer confidence being knocked a bit, the industry seems to have been really resilient so far. A lot of people at home, stuck in their little bubbles, looking around, wanting to do stuff better. And a good example of that is we ran an additional survey recently particularly on our homeowner community, to work out, well, what's going on with all those projects that you had planned? Overwhelming majority who were in the middle of a renovation project were able to continue. And those that did put their project on pause, it was more about the capacity to feel safe rather than compared to financial circumstances changing or knocking the project off altogether. So overall, not as strong as some of the results we've had in previous years, but definitely held up really well in spite of these challenging conditions. In property, we know that people on average transact every seven to eight years, more or less. Is it fair to say that something similar can happen in renovation also, that people will do a big reno at some point and then X number of years later, they'll then do it again? Could that also be why things have stabilised a bit? Yeah. So we have a lot of interesting data and a lot of it's driven by this pent-up demand, right? I've been wanting to do it for so long. And some of the stats we see is average kitchen renovation 
takes 15 years in between where you do your kitchens. Wow. And to put that in context, the average Aussie marriage is eight years. <laughs> average car ownership is six years, right? <laughs> and because they've got all this time, when they do it, they really want to do it right. Yep. Another thing that's really interesting, when people are doing these projects, a lot of it are actually using savings that they've been accruing over time. So when they get there, they want to do it properly and they want to invest in quality products and do it once and do it right. People want quality in something that's going to last. And I think most pertinent to us, given our connection to the professional industry, is people are really taking the time to research it, plan it and find the right professionals to bring it to life. I'm always encouraged to hear and I'm really recommending to people using professional services to get it right because even if you do it yourself, okay, you'll save a bit of money, but what is that end result like and is it really adding value to your property, which, you know, is part of the actual ideal outcome here? Absolutely. Let's go down to tin tax and talk about the money. How much are Australians spending to renovate their homes and how has that changed over the years? Yeah, so they're still spending a lot. The median spend we reported last year was about 20K, which has stabilised the last couple of years after some rapid growth. And like I said, at the higher end of the market, 150K plus. Now, Tony, if we look at those amounts, where is that money going? Do you have a list of the key top three areas that people renovate? Yeah, so specifically in terms of the house, kitchens, bathrooms, and then other key living spaces, you know, living room, bedrooms. And what we see is they're willing to invest in the quality products. And even throughout the range of demographics that exist in the the country and the different pockets, when people are doing these big ticket jobs, they're looking to do it to last. Mm. Tony, what has been the impact of the pandemic on people embarking on renovations? And in particular with the Home Builder Grant, we know there's now funding available from the government to encourage spending on home improvements as well as new homes, but let's just focus now on home improvements. Have you noticed an uptick because of that? Yeah, so it's been interesting. So overall, people are still renovating, which is great. With a home builder grant, it's been good and the data definitely suggests a positive story. But you also seen a lot of people at home looking around thinking, well, you know what, maybe I should do something about that room or, you know, the tiling or the flooring. So we on house have seen a huge amount of engagement than we normally would. Um, the home builder, we've had mixed responses from our community. Conceptually, they love the idea. The eligibility criteria made it tough for some to engage with, particularly around larger project approvals and timing to get it in before the end of the year. The other thing that we have seen is how people's consumption behaviours in society overall have shifted. So when other people might have invested in holidays or more expensive entertainment, even clothing purchases because you're not going out as much, there's a little bit of extra cash in the pocket for those lucky enough to not have been impacted directly. And they are also taking that and looking to invest in the homes as well. So it all is this hodgepodge of different criteria and variables. But at the moment, the, the data suggests that people are investing and doing quite a lot. And what would your advice be for those thinking of renovating their homes in this pandemic-affected circumstance? What's your sort of sage advice about how to approach this given so much uncertainty and and restrictions and constantly changing situations, how can people actually pull the trigger and crack on with it? Obviously, first bit of advice is take your time and make sure you engage with the right people who can make it happen. Find what you like, go with what makes you happy, and then find a professional for your project that can help make you happy and make that process run smoothly. 
you know, if you've got the means and it's something you want to do, take advantage of this time and, and, and go ahead and, and get stuck in. Mm. Tony, that was really interesting. Thank you for your time. You've certainly given us a lot to think about today. And I think it's really something to sort of chew over in this time at the moment when we are at home more than ever. I think it's really fascinating. So thanks again for your time, Tony. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Last week, we chatted with Domain's Money and Advice Editor, Dan Butkovich, about the kind of research you should do before you sell a property. Now we're looking at the next step in that journey, which is finding the right selling agent who's going to get you the best price for your property. With us to explain how to find a good agent is someone who is no stranger to tracking down the perfect agent, buyer and seller advocate, Wendy Chamberlain. Wendy, thank you for joining me today. Great to be here, Alice. Can you briefly take us through what a seller's advocate does? Yes, absolutely. We basically are the independent impartial voice that works on behalf of the vendor or the person that is selling the property. So we have vast experience when it comes to both buying and selling real estate. So we act as the voice for the seller during that selling process. Mm -hmm. Now, part of your job as a seller's advocate is finding good real estate agents to help your clients. What do you see as the most important qualities in an agent? One of the first things would be integrity. It's really important that the person that you're working with, because it is a relationship that you're going to be sharing with that person for a number of weeks, but also They need to have experience across different markets because real estate goes through ebbs and flows. There's up markets, there's down markets, there's situations like we're in at the moment. So the person needs to have experienced when a market is good, when a market is not as good, and dovetail into that, their ability to negotiate. Mm. Wendy, I imagine you probably find the number of agents for your clients, but for those who want to hunt for agents themselves and sort of do their own picking and choosing, where would you suggest they start? Can you give us some tips on that for the lay person who, you know, maybe hasn't sold for 10 plus years or something, how they can approach it? Sure. I think one of the first places that you need to start is on domain. First thing you should be doing is do a search of homes for sale, both in your suburb plus also in neighbouring suburbs, and take a look at who is actively out there selling real estate because the ones that are actively out there are going to have those established networks. They're going to be working with buyers that are already out and about and looking. And have a look at not only homes for sale but also recently sold because they're the active agents. And what what about ones who are out of area agents? Like do you have a hard and fast rule that if they're not a local agent, they're probably not appropriate or are you sort of more open-minded about different people covering different geographical areas? Look, I'm open-minded about it and often when I speak to a seller, they may have already been talking to an agent or a couple of agents already and I always respect that process and I ask the client, do you want me also to include them in the interview process? And if they say yes, we also speak to that person. So it's no hard and fast rule because if someone is perhaps two or three suburbs over, there's no reason to say that they're not going to be able to find a suitable buyer for your home but you still need to do that due diligence and make sure they are the right agent. Mm. Wendy, how big a difference can an agent make to the end sale price? 
it can be the entire difference. (laughs) It's a pretty life-changing decision in that case. It absolutely is because if you choose the wrong agent, you run the risk of ruining your campaign. Because as an example, if the agent you chose wasn't familiar with your suburb or even within a suburb, you have different types of houses. You have houses on land, you might have a townhouse, you might have a unit, it might be an apartment. And then within each of those, you're going to have different states of repair. If the property is not priced correctly, then it can ruin your entire campaign. So as an example, I recently worked with a client that they were selling their home in the inner west of Melbourne. So they got in touch with me because they were looking to buy a home, but they were also looking to sell their home in order to buy the next home. So we had a conversation about whether or not they should buy first, sell first. And I said, look, um, it's up to you but you might be better off to sell your home first so you know exactly how much money you've got to spend and then you can move to the next property. So they had already been speaking to an agent that had been recommended to them by a a trusted colleague. It It was their broker. And they had had that agent, who was a local agent, walk through the property and he had given them an estimation of the price. And they got in touch with me and I said, do you want me also to have a number of other agents come through the property, give their opinion on the price of the property? And they said, yeah, that'd be great. So I said, how many would you like? We can have up to four as a good bandwidth for giving you that general idea of exactly what your property would be worth. They said, that's fantastic. So I made a time and I met each of those agents on site. They walked through the property and then they gave me an estimation on what they thought the property was worth. Now, that first agent had valued their home between a million and 50 and 1.1 million. Each of the other three agents, each independent of each other, had valued that home at nine fifty. So that was anywhere from a hundred to hundred fifty thousand dollar difference in the price. And they've actually made the decision now that they'll just wait and won't move in because that just totally changed their plans. So choosing the right agent and an agent that knows your home, your suburb, your street can make a difference. Mm. Yeah, that's really pertinent information, Wendy, and I think it's something that a lot of potential sellers really should keep that information at the forefront of their mind. On that note, in this current COVID climate, having a strong negotiator on your side is obviously going to be very important at the moment. How do you get a sense of an agent's negotiating skills? Observe how the agent negotiates with their own sales commission is a really great litmus test. I would say to be aware of any agent instantly drops their commission price too quickly or agrees to a massive cut just to get your business because if they're prepared to be doing that to get your business, how do you know they're not going to try and do that on the other side of the scenario when they've got a buyer and get you to cut your price? Have you seen that happen a lot, Wendy? Like, do you, Is that something that you do see happen quite frequently? Yes, it absolutely does happen. I've also seen agents basically do what's called buyer listing. So a buying a listing is where they tell you uh, a much higher price than your property is realistically worth so that they do get your business. And then once they've got you signed on the dotted line, then they start basically conditioning you down, down, down. And they'll say things like, oh, the market's changed or people are saying that they don't like this or that. So you've just got to be careful of how the agent is behaving. And I've done this for a very, very long time. So I have tremendous respect for an agent that knows their value and stands behind their commission structure. Because if they can articulate their worth and present you with a valid reason for what they charge, then that is something you should be listening to. Mm. 
It brings us back to what we talked on earlier about that gut instinct. And I'm also interested in sort of terms of how important the agent's personality is in this process. What what if you just don't like the agent's personality? Is that enough reason, but you, they are a fantastic negotiator? Like how important, I suppose, my question is, is chemistry in the view of this relationship? I've worked with clients where they haven't liked the agent and I have to say to them, well, you're not the one buying your house and they are a really good agent. And we're in an industry where sometimes people don't like real estate agents for no other reason than the fact they are a real estate agent. That doesn't mean they're not the best person to sell your house. So when assessing an agent's personality, you might like to do something like mystery shop the agent that you're considering. In Melbourne, we can't do it at the moment because we're in lockdown, but there's no reason why you can't go along to open for inspections in a normal market and just pretend that you're looking to buy a home and see how they behave with you. How do they treat you? Do they talk to you and take your detail? Do they follow you up? Mm. Wendy, what are the different ways that agents get paid? Could you just simplify what can be a very complex part of it down for us? And does this contribute to the agent's motivation of a sale? Well, it does contribute to an agent's motivation. What I don't think people realise is that it's a multifaceted process. So most commonly, agents are paid via a commission, but there's a commission structure that can be set up in a number of ways. So a flat percentage is agreed at the time of appointing the agent and the agent signing the agreement. And now there is no standard commission per se, because often the commission is based on the location of the home the value of the home, the type of home. So in a suburb that may be on the fringes of the city or in the country, they may charge more because the home may be valued less. So there's something called an incentive model or sometimes called a kicker. And that's generally a mixture of a set percentage commission to that agreed price, usually the reserve. And then anything that is achieved above the reserve, it's uh, an incentivised 10% plus GST is a standard figure and that's paid for every dollar over an agreed price. And I've also seen agents give sellers an open-ended option. So then say, okay, well, when we're all done and dusted, you can have a look at the job I've done for you and you can decide how happy you are and pay my kim. Wow. I know. (laughs) I've not heard of that. Wow. (laughs) I I don't know about that because I think you're better off knowing your costing up front and knowing what you're going to be up for, but some agents do it. Wendy, that's so fascinating. You've given us a lot of food for thought there. I really appreciate you um, giving us the 101 on um, on how to choose an agent because I definitely know it's it's one of the most sort of trickiest parts for people after they've got over that initial hurdle of should we sell or not sell um finding that right fit is um it's it's not it's not easy so I really appreciate your your input on that thank you so much for joining us today absolute pleasure happy to help and of course domain also has an online find an agent tool you can find the link in the show notes Well, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question we could help answer for you, let us know. Send us an email at propertyunpacked at domain.com.au. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and look out for further episodes dropping every Thursday. 
Property Unpacked is hosted by me, Alice Stoltz. This episode was produced by Danielle Giannopoulos. It was edited and mixed by Dan McHugh. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au. Thank you.